It's Wednesday, May 16th, 2018. I'm Herbie Newell, and this is the Defender Podcast, a daily encouragement to mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This daily podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. On January 19th of this year, Lifeline had the privilege of hosting a storytelling event in partnerships with Ark Stories here in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on Ark Stories, you can visit them at arcstories.com. Well, the night featured seven storytellers recounting stories of healing and hope. One of our storytellers was Tracy Hacker. Tracy and her husband, Greg, have been foster parents in Alabama for over 10 years. They opened their home to over 70 children in care throughout their time as foster parents. They are now a family of eight residing in Gardendale, Alabama. Tracy continues to minister to foster families through mentoring and co-leading biblically-based training classes alongside of Lifeline's foster care ministry. Listen now as storyteller Tracy Hacker tells more about her experience in foster care. A funny thing happened on our way to adoption. We started out in foster care. We didn't go to an agency to adopt. We felt God calling our family to foster care. And and I will tell you that he opened the door and just kind of kicked us through it for foster care. We went willingly, but he kind of gave us a shove through that that first step. And you know, you always hear people say, when God calls you, just step, just take that first step. Well, that first step is a doozy, let me tell you. But I wanna tell you over the next few minutes that we have watched and lived redemption, restoration, all of the things that the Bible says God does, we got a front row seat for that. And so what I wanna do for the next few minutes is just tell you, because I thought, how do you, how do you take 10 years, and we had the privilege of caring for 71 kids through our home in 10 years. Some for a night, and, and three that came through foster care, they, we adopted those through foster care. And so we've kind of run the gamut of, you know, a tiny baby for just a few days and in, in talking about a, a seven-month-old that stayed and we got to adopt him. And so we've had lots of experiences. So what do I tell you about foster care and adoption? One of the first, actually the first placement that we ever had, um, tiny, tiny little Filipino lady, very, very small little lady. And my family is known as the village. If you ever see us on Facebook, that's kind of what people refer to us as. This lady's kids were beautiful. They looked just like Dora and Diego. So people just kind of started calling us the village. And um, so we had her kids for probably about three and a half weeks before we met her for the first time. And if you don't know anything about foster care, you go through 10 weeks of classes and they will know pretty much everything from your shoe size to what kind of laundry detergent you use and hair color, which mine has been lost long ago, what the natural hair color is. But they just, they get in your business. They know a lot about you, okay? And so we go and we meet this mom for the first time and I was a nervous wreck because what do you say? Here are your kids. They're dressed up, they're cleaned up, they're fresh smelling, they're, you know, here they are. And so it was a really awkward visit for that first hour or so. And so we ended up in the parking lot and um, we packed the kids up in the car and I look over and I see her in, like on her knees in the parking lot. She was just crying like crazy. And I would love to tell you over the next few minutes that there was this great spiritual something that I ran over and quoted scripture to her, but it didn't go quite like that. So I look at her and I have my arms crossed just like this. And, I, and in my mind, I'm thinking, well, you got what you deserve. 
you didn't take care of your kids, and so they took them away. And that was not right of me, but I'm just being real honest. We're friends tonight, right, so we can be honest. And uh, if y'all have ever heard the still, small voice of God, it's real loud, real loud. And so he said to me, go hug her. And I said, no, not doing it. And y'all don't laugh like you've never had that conversation with God, okay? Because I know you have. So a second time, because you know, I'm a good Christian. I got myself together and I've been through classes and I know how to take care of your kids and you don't. He said, I said, go hug her. Not doing it. Still not doing it. And you know, you, I've seen my kids do that before and I'm like, oh yes, you will. <laughs> and so I feel sure, you know, somewhere up in heaven, he was going, oh yes, you're going to hug her. And so for the third time, deafening, deafening, that still small voice said, go hug her now. So have you guys ever heard of the Disney hug? The like side, just, you know. Well, I gave her on a scale of one to 10, it was about a two on a Disney hug. I walked over and I mean, this was a really, it couldn't have been more than 15 seconds maybe, but it was a long 15 seconds. And so I walked over and I helped her stand up. And I mean, this was, this was all I gave her. That was it. But you know, I, I looked and I was like, okay, I did what you said. Hugged her. I'm good. I got in my car, went home. And I'm thinking, okay, I did what he said to do. I'm good. I'm good. But let me tell you what that hug did for me. Not her, because she probably doesn't even remember it. We had her kids for two years just a few days shy of two years, and they went home. And I don't know about you, but when you love somebody for two years and then they leave, it's hard. It's really hard. But that hug changed me, and it changed the way I looked at her because just a few days before they left, I was in my quiet time. And I had learned to listen a little bit better, so y'all please don't think I'm terrible. I had learned to listen a little better. But you know what God said to me sitting there? He said, and, and here's the cool thing. We were in the book of Esther for Bible study. And you know, in, book, in the book of Esther, God turns tables like crazy. And so I'm thinking, he's going to rush in and at the last minute, we're going to get to adopt these kids. So I mean, we were already, in my, in my mind, I had it all planned out. I'm good. We're, I've got it all planned out because I've been through classes, you know. And God needs my help, right? He needs my help in this situation. So I had it all, I'm good. But you know what he said, again, with that still small voice? Not your place to be mad at her anymore. I had grace and I had mercy. And guess what he needed me to do? Pass it on. And so I don't know how to explain it, but sitting in my chair holding that Esther Bible study book, I let go of everything I had held on to. So mad at that mom because she had treated her kids really bad. But you know what I was able to see when I saw her for the next time? A soul, not just a birth mom, not just a mom that had lost her kids, but a soul. We had, I told you earlier, we had 71 kids that came through our house. And so guess what I got to see that next birth mom as? Soul. And guys, when you see people as souls, it changes the way you minister. It changes the way you love them. Our next set of kids came, and it was our little boys that we were able to adopt. 
And you know, when, when you're in the foster care system, you just have to laugh. I have a, one of my very precious friends here with me tonight, and we have laughed about so many crazy things. But DHR called, and we still had the four, the village, we still had them. And my social worker called and she said, hey, I've got the chubby baby boy that you've been wanting. And I'm thinking, she is smoking something crazy because I've still got four kids. And so I said to her, I said, you remember we still have four. She said, I know, but she said, I just want you to pray about this one. You know, they got you at that point because how are you going to say no? <laughs> Somebody says, pray about it. Okay. So we go to the hospital because, you know, we need to be informed about all of this business. And, and here's what I didn't finish telling you. He has, she goes down the list, he has a colostomy bag, he has a feeding tube, he's got this. He's been in the hospital for seven months. And I said, oh, well, how old is he? Well, he's seven months old. Okay. And at the time, it was kind of funny because I had worked in a doctor's office. So that commercial that says, I'm not a doctor, but I play one on TV. And I thought, well, I'm not a nurse, but I wear scrubs to work. Does that count? I have zero medical knowledge, okay? So we go down to the hospital. Well, my husband, if he was here, he would tell you he went with the purpose of saying no. Not going, not going to do it. I went with the purpose of how soon can I bring my baby boy home? And I'm going to tell you that God's in details, Okay, because let me tell you why this little boy had been even put into DHR care. Their biological mom had passed away when this little boy was like five and a half hours old. Granddad had, maternal granddad had been visiting the hospital, but he quit about three months. So I mean, pretty much he had been abandoned at the hospital. The day that we went down there to see Kenny, guess who showed up? Granddad. Not just the day we were there, but the exact time that we were there. So when I tell you that God was in the details of that adoption, Greg and I were the last pieces of that puzzle that all we needed to do was say yes. We ended a meeting with the granddad, the nurse, the charge nurse from the hospital, DHR workers. I mean, there was a lot of people in that room. But the meeting ended with this poor little granddad laying on my husband's shoulder saying, please take care of my grandson. And my husband, who was not a crier, looked like somebody had just taken him and just wrung him out. We were spent. We were spent. But let me tell you something, that I am the mom of two little boys. This little kid was meant to be a part of our family. And all we had to do was say yes. And you know, when you're members of a big family, when you have kids coming and going, and you have a lot of things that you just have to laugh at it, okay? Other people would probably think we had lost our minds if they heard some of the things that happened. But you know, I mean, as a mom, you just, these things just stand out. And so I told you, I just wanted to share some things that kind of, in my lifetime, these will be things that forever etched in my mind. We got a call a good while after we had adopted our boys. And I'll tell you, as a foster parent, the best thing you can ever hear is a judge say, they're part of your forever family now. Because that means, guess what I could finally do? And I did, after I walked out of that courthouse on the steps, I went, Whew. I could finally exhale. And it didn't matter when that Alabama State DHR number came up on my phone, I didn't have to be afraid anymore. I didn't have to worry that somebody had come out of the woodwork to take them. But several, several months later, we got a call about a little girl, a nine-month-old little girl. That's all they said. And so we said yes. And we were waiting for her to get there. Time marched on, time marched on. It was late, late. So I sent the kids to bed. 
And the next morning, my oldest son, who was in kindergarten at the time, walked into the bathroom, bedhead, hair everywhere, and his eyes were like saucers. And he said, Mom, he kind of peeped around the door, and I said, yeah, buddy. And he said, there's a very brown baby in my room. I don't know how she got there. <laughs> and I mean, y'all, he was straight up scared, okay? <laughs> And so I just started laughing. I just started laughing at him. And I mean, he's still standing there like, Mom, no, I'm serious. Like, you need to come look now. <laughs> and so I drove up, took him to school, drove up to school that afternoon. And for moms of boys, when you drive up to the school and there's a huddle of teachers around your kid, not good. <laughs> not good. And they motioned for me to come down to the end of the sidewalk. And I'm like, oh, snap. What has he done now? And so I opened the car door and I, you know, I kind of cracked it a little bit because I was like, if I don't let them all the way in, maybe they won't tell me exactly what he did. But I opened the door and they said, oh, he's fine. We just wanted to see the brown baby with the Christmas trees on her head. <laughs> and I looked at Evan and he was like, her hair. Well, she had the little puffs on her hair and they looked like Christmas trees to him. And so that was how he described his new baby sister was the very brown baby with Christmas trees on her head. Now, why of all the things we've had that sticks out in my mind, it sticks out in my mind. But I just want to finish my time with you to tell you this, that loving people matters. It really does matter what you do. When you encounter somebody that God put in your path, it really matters how you care for them. And it really does matter what you do for them. We've been able to go places and do some things in foster care I'm an orchestra member at my church, and so anything I had ever done before this, I was behind a music stand. So if you ever saw Home Improvement, I pretty much looked like Mr. Wilson with the fence, with my music stand. But you know what? I was safe there, right? Because I had my stand, and I had my saxophone, and I could just play, and then I could pick my stuff up and go home. And I've read the scripture, the least of these, 100 times. But until they were toddling down my hallway, it just didn't have the quite same effect as it did when I could look at them and say, this is who God calls the least of these. And you know what my job was to do? Love them. Now, I'm a reformed type A. When I started foster care, I was real type A. But foster care will cure you of that, okay? <laughs> because it wasn't my job. And my point is this. It wasn't my job to fix anybody. It was my job to love them. In James 1.27, we don't get a pass. We don't get to pick and choose who we love. We love the people that he puts in our path. And one of my favorite quotes, and I'll end with this, is from Elizabeth Elliot, and it says, of one thing I am certain, God's story never ends in ashes. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast. For more information or to connect with me, please visit HerbieNewell.com. To partner with Lifeline, visit LifelineChild.org. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel to you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again tomorrow for the Defender Podcast.